Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists from where their journeys began, where they are now and everything in between. Today I am so excited to welcome Dr. Jennifer Shannon onto the podcast. We first met in high school in 1998, went to the same university for our undergraduate degrees and then parted ways around 2005 when I moved back to London to start my career in pharmacy. Instagram has reunited us after several years and it was an absolute pleasure having this conversation and a much needed catch up. Jennifer is a wonderful mother of four beautiful children, a dedicated wife to Professor Mikey and currently the proud owner of Lily's Pharmacy in Georgia, USA. She started her career as an enthusiastic resident pharmacist, an experience which she clearly loved and her passion for this type of role at the start of a pharmacy career shines throughout our conversation. She then transitioned into academia as an ambulatory care pharmacy practice professor with the Philadelphia College of Medicine. From there, she makes the bold and brave decision to buy her own pharmacy with her husband and they run the business together as a team. I really love that this episode allows us to get insider insight into what it is truly like to be a pharmacy owner, a mother of four, and a wife. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Welcome to Pharmacist Diaries. I'm really excited that you've come onto the podcast. So I guess I should tell my listeners who you are. So um, (laughs) you are Jennifer Shannon now instead of Jennifer George. Um, Yes. We went to school together all the way back in 1998 and then went to the same university. We went to Virginia Tech together and then we parted ways when I moved back to the UK. But now we have rediscovered each other, which is so exciting after so many years. It's crazy. (laughs) Just this afternoon, I was just thinking of all our high school memories (laughs) <laughs> and uh, there's too many to talk about on this podcast. Maybe we way shouldn't too talk about <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we had so much fun. I mean, remember the days at Circuit City? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we were software specialists. Wasn't that we our really title? Were. Yes. I forgot about Circuit City. It's selling CDs. <laughs> we were selling CDs. Yeah. Those are the days. Our title was so much bigger than our actual job, so that is too much. Yes, I know it's absolutely crazy, but I'm so happy. Thanks for your time today, and I really appreciate that. I know you're really busy. No, thank you. I'm so honored to be here uh, talking to you. This is so fun. Maybe we can kind of start by talking about what compelled you to become a pharmacist in the first place. Yeah, so um, I grew up in healthcare. My mom, um, she was the transplant administrator at our hospital. So I always, from the time I was a little girl, was helping to make beds or volunteering every summer. Maybe I didn't always want to do it, but my parents made me. And I thought I wanted to be a nurse. But one day when I was volunteering, my mom introduced me to a pharmacist. She was a clinical pharmacist. And um she said, why don't you come shadow me for a day? And I remember that day so clearly and, and watching her do everything that she did. Her name was Laurel. And um, just the way she was talking to patients and making recommendations to physicians and just the impact she was having all day, not having to touch like the insides or guts of patients, but actually just touching them by being who she was and being a pharmacist. And from that day, I knew that was what I wanted to do. I knew um, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare, but that day um, showed me all the impact that a pharmacist can have on a patient. And I love people and I love helping them to feel better. And I that's what made me want to do it. Amazing. My, my journey is obviously quite different. I guess, I, I think when I was back in Virginia Tech and in college, I think I was lost. I don't know why though. I still kind of haven't really figured that out from a personal perspective, but I was just not really focused on my career or what I was supposed to do. And now I'm all over it like a rash. I mean, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I have completely turned myself around. Um, Obviously our listeners don't know my background, but I was quite crazy when we were younger. (laughs) And I did enjoy myself a lot. <laughs> and 
I would work when I needed to, but most of the time I would play hard. And things were, I don't, I, th- I guess that kind of clouded my judgment maybe on reality. And, but as soon as I moved back home, as, like literally the day I left Virginia and I moved back home to London and, and started pharmacy, I completely did a 180 degree flip. Like I became really serious about studying. I became really serious about being a really good student and I completely turned myself around and I have been that person ever since. But I don't know if it was the environment in the US. Just, <laughs> it was probably the Americans. <laughs> I know the Americans really screwed me up. I mean, I love you guys. Um, but something flipped with me when I went to high school. I, maybe it was just that I was trying to just fit in with the, right, there was, with the I community. Mean- you think back to our high school and I think back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that place was crazy. Like there was a lot happening in high school to begin with, but we had um, such a large school and you were new. And I think, uh, you know, who knows, but obviously you found your way and you were brilliant the whole time. So that didn't matter how much fun you had. (laughs) You know, I had to study a little bit more so I couldn't have that higher level. (laughs) oh my goodness it was just too much I mean all we can do is laugh because it was that crazy and we did right I mean I think when you finally find what you're passionate about it makes you want to work for it too and I you know I knew I wanted to be a pharmacist but you don't realize like how much work that path is to get there and then to bring yourself forward because there are so many pharmacists, right? Like pharmacists everywhere, all over the country, graduating at the same time. And you think like, well, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it all the way, right? So. Yeah, I I think now to go to pharmacy school in the US is is a real challenge to find a job. I don't know. Is that is that re- reality for you guys? Because here we're still okay in terms of getting jobs. But from Friends of mine who, like, for example, I have a couple of friends who I work with in Abu Dhabi have moved back to the US and they do say that the market has completely changed and, you know, finding a job is genuinely really difficult. Yeah, I think that there are a few things that have caused that. Um, Obviously, we've had a surge in pharmacy schools that opened. But the other thing is that I feel like if you aren't separating yourself because, PharmDs are what everybody comes out with, right? Um, it does make it harder for you to get a job. The jobs in in community pharmacy or traditional retail pharmacies aren't what they were. And those pharmacists are crying for help too, right? I mean, they're getting inundated with all sorts of metrics and rules and really being pulled from what they were, what we were all trained to do. So they're not as desirable either in their salaries have decreased. And, you know, we have a lot of insurance driven mandates that have really degraded our profession too, and removed pharmacists from direct patient care. So I think you have like a lot of confounding factors that make it really difficult to get a job, um, maybe in those traditional settings. I mean, when I was a resident in our hospital, I actually got a job as a clinical pharmacist at that same hospital But at the time, that program had cut down significantly. Now they have they are booming with clinical pharmacists. So I think that if I think that, yes, it's hard to get a job. But if you can separate yourself, you can find your niche or create your own. Right. So, yeah, I think pharmacy is sort of at a crossroads of maybe we're going to see more pharmacists trying to do their own practice, which I think is awesome. So, yeah, definitely. And. If you, I guess it's a random kind of question, I guess, but if you were to advise pharmacy students how to separate themselves from the rest of their year group, what kind of suggestions would you have? It's quite, it's quite interesting to know your perspective. Yeah, I, my biggest suggestion, and I wish I had, when I was in pharmacy school, I actually probably didn't pay attention at all to this pharmacy management or economics of pharmacy pay attention and learn the state of practice where you live, wherever that is. I mean, the policies and the rules around our profession are so, they're evolving all the time. So I wish I had taken the time to understand where pharmacists really were in the whole circle of healthcare providers. And then go 
go shadow and soak in as much as you can from every kind of pharmacist that you can find, whether it's in the hospital or they own their own pharmacy or in pharma or pick your, you know, the thing I love about pharmacy is that you have a million avenues, academia, I mean, but you have to get exposed to them to know that they exist. And so I wish as a student, I sh- I didn't like slack off in the summers. I should have really like looked far and wide and saw, opened my eyes to what's out there for pharmacy. Because the more you get exposed, the more you think, well, maybe I could do that. What's my path to get there? Because I think we get funneled. I know at least for me, I felt like, okay, I'm either going to be a hospital pharmacist or a community pharmacist. And there's nothing really in between for me. But wow, the there is, there are so many paths. So you know, soak it in, learn the state of our profession because it's changing a lot and learn um, how important it is to advocate because if you want your profession to be there, you got to make sure you're advocating along the way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do. I agree with you there completely, because even here when you're in pharmacy school, a lot of people think of community hospital and industry and I'll, one thing that's different recently is in the last couple of years, so I was telling you, once you finish pharmacy, you go into this sort of internship year. We call it a mm-hmm. pre-registration year. And it used to be that you do applications with the individual um, organizations, whether it's an hospital or a community pharmacy, you you obviously just apply with them directly. But now they've got a system in place where you do an application and you can, you know, rank which places that you'd like to go and work for. And then you do a specific kind of type of interview and little tests and you get ranked in the country. So wow. the issue, yeah, it's it, the medical, um, like the doctors here do that and it works really, really well. And obviously they're trying to incorporate that because it, it does make it a lot easy for employers as well. You're not having to, right. f- you know, fish through hundreds of applications because it's all done through like a, a, a main system. But the issue for students is that if they live in a certain area and they rank that hospital as their number one place to work, and they might have had a placement there for four summers in a row before their internship year, but they're not that great at interviewing and they don't rank very well in this grand scheme of the whole country and they don't get the placement even though the hospital know who they are they know that they're a good candidate for the internship year they know that they have the good skills good communication etc etc they live locally so it's really easy for them to get to and from work and if they live locally they're more loyal to kind of stay in the hospital long term so you don't have to retrain staff on a regular basis if you've got someone who wants to stay in the area it all makes sense obviously but now that this system is in place I feel it deters students from having to go out there and do all those additional extra bits in terms of learning because they feel it's not really worthwhile because it doesn't make a difference when they do their applications but obviously Yeah, but obviously in reality, you need to explore the profession while you're studying and every single minute in those holidays, you should be working or volunteering or shadowing because it helps you to identify where you fit in, regardless of this whole application process. And I think students really need to be aware of that because at the end of the day, you don't want to qualify as a pharmacist try out retail or community pharmacy and then realize, oh my God, this is not the place for me. Um, It would be good to kind of identify those skills and, you know, what you like, what you're passionate about and kind of understanding what pharmacy is all about from a kind of a younger age. So that's kind of where we're at with our sort of junior graduates and stuff. Yeah. So tell us more about the residency. So how did you decide that you wanted to do it? And what's it all about in the US? Because it's quite different to hear. Okay, so um, I didn't always know that I wanted to do a residency. Um, It wasn't until I um, got into my rotation. I was on an ambulatory care rotation with my profession. And it was August. And he was like, are you going to do a residency? And I said, no, no, I think I'm I'm going to get a job at a retail pharmacy. Like I had no intent of applying. I sort of was just like ready to get married and take just a paycheck and just go on. And, but I loved 
the rotation. I loved ambulatory care. I was in a blood pressure clinic where we were um, monitoring and making therapeutic changes and working as a team. And I just, every aspect of it, I loved it. Like they had to kick me out at the end of the day because I just wanted to keep learning. And um, my professor, Dr. Sisson was like, I really would like you to apply for an ambulatory care residency. You know, the jobs aren't all there yet. It's still sort of um, an evolving part of pharmacy, but I think you'd really like it. And so I did, I applied and I knew we were moving to Georgia. So I applied only to um, Georgia trauma centers that had ambulatory care pharmacy um, programs. And I landed at Grady Health System. And at the time, and this residency doesn't exist anymore, but it was a hybrid pharmacy practice and primary care residency. So I got to be in the ER and the ICU and all the medicine floors, but I also was in the outpatient primary care clinic. So those same ward teams that I was rounding with, I was also seeing those patients after they were discharged because Grady Health System has a whole basically system um, where they're managing those patients from inpatient all the way to outpatient primary care. So in specialty. So I really... I loved all of it. Like I loved internal medicine, but getting to do adult primary care and women's health. I mean, it really just opened my eyes and, and I wanted to stay there. I loved Grady. It, um, so ironically, one of my preceptors moved to the ER and I got to take her position upon residency graduation. So I had a clinical pharmacist position in AmCare, which is really hard to come across on a normal day. So um, I was very, I felt very blessed that that worked out that way. Um, but then again, I we talked about how your priorities kind of change. And I got pregnant with Lily and uh, that hour drive and those 12 hour days were starting to not seem like the right fit for our family. And so that's when um, a year later, I decided to take an academic position as a professor and have a practice site in a clinic. So that residency really opened a lot of doors and a lot of, it opened my eyes to what you can do as a pharmacist with direct patient care. So I love that continuity of care where you see them as an inpatient, but then you get the opportunity as a pharmacist to then see them in a clinic. Cause we don't, right. we do clinics here obviously, but um, you tend to either be in one or the other. So you're either outpatient or kind of inpatient. And sometimes you don't get to see the full circle. So that's amazing. I yeah, love that. I mean, it's such an awesome, I mean, everything is a team approach. All the uh, physicians are from Emory. And so you get a lot of learning and a lot of um, just so much collaborative, you know, interprofessional collaboration there, which is amazing. So I always tell people, like, if something ever happens to me, don't take me down the street, take me to Grady. <laughs> So, so I can go see all my people, but um, it is a phenomenal place to learn and work and train. I mean, the residency programs are amazing. So yeah, it really gives you a well-rounded experience. Oh, that's amazing. So obviously you've talked a little bit about enjoying, I guess, the clinical content that you were seeing on a day-to-day -day basis and working from a multidisciplinary perspective. What else did you enjoy about the residency? Just the, I mean, Grady Health System is a level, is the level one trauma center for Atlanta and pretty much Georgia. I mean, we get at, at Grady, you get anything. It, you don't know what's coming your way. And so um, getting, you know, being able to do direct primary care as a pharmacist and do all of this medication adjustment, um, working with physicians obviously gave me a different perspective. And I loved that. Um, and it spoiled me as to how we should be working together. But I loved the rush that you got there. I mean, if you were down in the ER and they didn't let me go down all the time since I was in AmCare, you just never knew what was coming for you. And the other thing I really appreciated was that they had the PharmD residents do overnight call. So you were literally the only pharmacist, like clinical pharmacist in the hospital there making decisions. And you always had your preceptors as backup. But um, that probably taught me so much more than I ever would have learned had I not done a residency because you respond to all the codes you're doing, you know, you and the doctor are running these codes in the middle of the night. And my co-residents used to joke, I always had the most codes when I had overnight call, so I never slept. But, um, that's what I love, just the exposure, the rush and 
what you're learning. I mean, you don't know if you're getting strokes or gunshot wounds or a burn. I mean, they're the burn center for Georgia. So you would just get, I mean, you're all of a sudden thrown into these situations or, you know, where you're helping make decisions and part of it, you just, that you can't put words on that learning experience. It's amazing. So overnight, were you with the doctor the whole time? So you were going to patient to patient with them or you're doing it remotely from the pharmacy? Yeah. So the residents actually had a whole residence office and we had a bed in there and um, we had a pager. And so basically you just get paged with questions all night long from doctors that are there overnight that need clinical pharmacy help. And that's what I love about Grady. They elevate their pharmacists there. And you know, to the point where the physicians literally write in the in the notes, PharmD consult, dose vancomycin, or, you know, pick your drug. And so there's a lot of trust and that is there that is amazing um, between the pharmacists and the physicians. And so that's what I loved. I mean, you're thrown, I mean, I was the first pharmacist to have overnight call and I laughed so much because a resident who was also new. We were only there for like three days. We're fresh out of school. And I laughed so much because he called me because he had a question about pneumonia. And I was like, the hell if I know? And he was like, I don't know either. <laughs> but I think that how stupid that must have been. You know, now you can just rattle those answers off. But I think I was just so scared. I'm like, I can't believe they let me stay here by myself. <laughs> I remember my first night shift and it was such a scary experience. <laughs> I mean, I, it, every pharmacist must go through that that's a resident and carrying that damn yeah. pager. I mean, it was it was oh, torture. I was like praying that it wouldn't go off the whole night. Of course, it went off like crazy. And I was just, yeah. so I think the thing I loved is a lot of it's trial by fire there. Yeah, but you learn so much and so quick. So I love that. Pro- I would do a residency again. I loved it that much. I really, yes. really, really thrived in that environment under that pressure and just having to churn out like so much information and multitask like crazy. I loved it and I still would love it, I think, if I had to do it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a really great experience. So I, I really do encourage pharmacists to go and do it because that grounding that you get in your early sort of stages in your career are you can't it's take invaluable that yeah I know it's it's so good I loved it I'm glad that you enjoyed it I can imagine yes. you running around like a lunatic <laughs> like a lunatic not really knowing what I was doing at the time I remember being in a code in the ER for somebody that was hypothermic and I they're like we need the bicarb I was like what do you need I don't even know which one's bicarb in <laughs> moments, right? Because when you come out of pharmacy school, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so smart. I learned all this stuff. You don't know anything. Like you should really you don't. really don't. And until and so in the US they don't they don't require residencies, but every pharmacy student that comes through my doors, I put a pardon a pardon on them. Like, please, you don't understand. Like I talked about how you have to separate yourself. That is one level. It's only one level of that. So anyway. <laughs> The PharmD now is just a basic requirement. And how crazy is that? It's a doctorate. Like you literally. I know. And it is a absolute basic requirement. Your journey in pharmacy starts after the PharmD. Right. It doesn't. I feel like telling them your PharmD is nothing until you do another level. Like you really, you know, I mean, it's such an, it, it is such an accomplishment to get that PharmD, but what you do with it is what matters, right? I mean, everyone in your class will get that PharmD. So it, I always think like, you know, how do we teach our, our future pharmacists? Like, it's so vital to do a little bit more after that. We were so naive when we were younger because we I, were. Bet, <laughs> I bet you were thinking when you were close to the end, like, you know, I cannot wait to get this Farm D because you know what? Just give me that paycheck. I'm going to enjoy every single penny, but I'm going to enjoy my job and I'm going to do a good job at it. But it, it's every single hour of studying is well worth it. But yes. you just, unfortunately, you don't know it is just the start, but it's good now because things are changing where obviously there's so much more availability of 
you know, anything from a podcast, webinars, you know, universities are changing to explain what to do with careers and get more careers advice and mentors and preceptors and everything. I think things are obviously slowly changing to help people. But I guess when, when we did pharmacy, which actually wasn't even that long ago, it was slightly different. And we had to kind of figure that out on our own, but it's good. We've done it and we're both successful. So happy days. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I, did you get married before your residency, by the way? Yeah. So I got, yes, I did. I got married, um, before my clinic, my fourth year of clinical rotations. And so, um, we got married in May and then Mike was commuting back and forth from Atlanta. Still, we had an apartment in Richmond and he had his townhouse still, you know, that was down in Georgia. So we were flying back and forth and, um, it really was quite an interesting time. You know, you're in your rotations, it's busy, and um, you're pretty grounded to that that five week spot. So, um, yeah, I got married. We did. The, I did my rotations, and then come March and April, that's when I finally made my way down to Atlanta to do my last. I think I did a community rotation, which they allowed me to do in Georgia remotely. Yeah. And then I graduated and sort of off to the races from there. And so um, I sort of think back and like, what a whirlwind that was. Like I graduated, I jumped into the trauma center and they made me sleep overnight on call and I didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden I found myself buying a house and pregnant with my first kid, you know, like just life, it, it just takes off. So Anyway, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> and and how did you how did you like transitioning from Richmond to um, Georgia? It's quite a different way of life. It is, it is. And I was, fr- I think, honestly, I think my residency is what gave me a sense of stability because I didn't know anybody. But at least my co-residents also didn't know anybody, and we were all from all over. And so all of a sudden, I had this family of people that were all going through the same thing. And so that really got me settled quickly. I didn't really have time to think, like, I'm in a new place. I just remember, like, the one week I had down here before I started, I went in a store, and it had all this University of Georgia stuff. And, you know, like, everything's Georgia or Georgia Tech. I remember asking them, like, do you have any Virginia Tech stuff here? And she was like, oh, no, honey, this is Georgia you're in Georgia. And I was like, I'm well aware I'm in Georgia. And that day, I still remember that, like crying, thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know a single person. Nobody down here, every time I say tech, they think it's Georgia Tech, not Virginia Tech. So, um, but yeah, it was quite a transition. But the thing I look back on is that my residency allowed me to just kind of keep going and not, not kind of mourn my move, right? I didn't really want to come to Georgia, but um, now I look back, thank God. I mean, we all have a path laid out for us and this, we were definitely meant to be here. A side note, I actually came back to Virginia Tech the year of the shooting, the weekend of the shooting. Wow. Yeah, I was wow. there. It, yeah, because I, I remember really clearly that it was, um, I was off campus, but it was snowing that weekend for the um, football game. And it was April, which is a strange time for it to be snowing. And I woke up and kind of was watching the news. And Virginia Tech is on the news all the time for, you know, kind of football, basketball, whatever stuff is going on. And, you know, there's all this police on the on the TV. And I was like, you know, what's going on? So obviously the football game got canceled, clearly. And but it was not it was obviously really nice to come back and visit. It was a strange time to come back. And it was, you know, really. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it was kind of crazy to come back for that weekend. But I just thought about that while I was. Yeah, wow. I do miss our times at Virginia Tech. I do. I miss Virginia Tech. We actually brought all of our kids last summer. We were driving back from Pennsylvania and they got to meet the Hokie Bird and we stayed in the hotel on campus. It was so great. And all the things that I love, I love showing they, I love that they love the Hokie Bird, but um, I do. It's a beautiful place. And, you know, I hope one of my kids, one of the four, hopefully will go there. (laughs) They will. They have to follow. (laughs) Maybe not down the biology route like us. No, no. (laughs) But the the campus has changed like considerably. I mean, seriously, they are spending so much money. I've been following them on LinkedIn and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah, they are. They are dramatic changes. And 
I love, I just love how much they're advancing and all the technology and it does, it looks completely different. I think if I had to give a tour again, I wouldn't know where to go. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So obviously you came to Georgia and then after your residency, where did you go? Yeah. So I worked at Grady. I, I had that clinical pharmacist position um, but after a year and then I got pregnant with Lily, it just, what, it was too far, you know, an hour drive back and forth in Atlanta, our traffic is some of the worst in the country. So, um, okay. Mike really wanted me to work closer to home. So I took a professor position at, um, Philadelphia college of medicine. And, um, I, I worked there as an ambulatory care pharmacy practice professor. And I had, I started a diabetes clinic at an indigent care clinic called Good Samaritan. And I loved it. I loved just that they were, they had never had a pharmacist there and they were open to all sorts of new things. So I had this, you know, diabetes management clinic that I was doing with the physician at Good Sam's. And, um, but over that course of time, one of my one of my friends was like, you should open a pharmacy. And I was like, no, I don't want to open a pharmacy. I was like, I have no business opening a pharmacy. She's like, no, no, you really should. And I, I had sort of, the thought had crossed Mike and I's mind when we had Lily, um, I had to have emergency surgery. And um, when I got discharged from the hospital, he took my medicine to the chain pharmacy up the road. And they were like, sorry, we're closing. You're going to have to go to the 24 hour. They weren't all the way closed. He was like, well, that's pretty crappy. So he had to drive 30 minutes to the 24-hour pharmacy. He waited two hours. And I needed those antibiotics. Like, I was really sick. I had, Anyway, and I was like, that is the crappiest pharmacy care ever. Like, why is pharmacy care so bad? Like, we really could do better. But, like, let's not. And he had sort of been brewing, like, wouldn't it be cool to open a pharmacy? So my friend was like, here, take this book. And it was like a book on how to open a pharmacy. <laughs> And I don't know, like Lily really is who spun it because had I not had that bad pharmacy experience, I never had a need for a pharmacy prior to having that emergency surgery. And I didn't realize like how bad pharmacy care has gotten at no fault of the pharmacist. I blame those corporations that are running it. So there we were. And all of a sudden we found ourselves like, going down the path of finding a location and writing a business plan and what were we going to do. So it really all happened in a few short years after I finished my residency, because we opened this pharmacy November of 2013. So um, I told Mike when he said, we're doing this, like we can do this. Like our, our community does not have a good pharmacist that is giving good direct patient care. And I was like, fine, we'll do it. But you have to let me do clinical services. Like I will not be behind the counter, not talking to people. Like I want to provide care. So that was how we sort of landed. Like I worked at Grady Hospital after I finished my residency, went into academia. And then in a very short period, we opened this pharmacy. So pretty crazy. That's amazing. But let me take you back one second. So going into academia, what kind of, because that's quite early on in your career that you landed a job in academia. So what kind of qualifications or additional studies or requirements do you need to kind of transition from residency and then doing a clinical pharmacy job for one year and kind of going into academia? That's quite amazing. Yeah. So actually, and part of it was, I think it was a new pharmacy school. So again, I talked about those new pharmacy schools that were popping up and I really respected the um, department chair for pharmacy practice. And Um, he said, you know, this is a new position. You can make it what you want. You can set up your site. All of that sounded really intriguing to me. And I love precepting pharmacy students. So I said, this all sounds really fun. Like, I think I could do this. And I did. I loved it. I loved teaching the students that, you know, it required a um, PGY1 residency um, to have the position. So it really was amazing. Um, 
as a young pharmacist, right, to get thrown into this role. And there were, there were, it was sort of a mix. They had some pharmacists that were in practice for quite some time. And then many new, like couple years out of residency pharmacists. And I think it really gave students like a fresh hands-on experience, right? Like you have people that just went through all of this. So um, we sort of had a different perspective on teaching, but um, I really loved it. I think had we not gotten the itch to open our own practice, like I would have stayed there. So, mm. no, that's amazing. I mean, I, this is my first, I've been doing my academia role for just under a year and I genuinely love it. I love a student. You know, you get students that are so fresh and bright eyed and ready to learn. I mean, not all of them are that way, but many of them are. And just getting to show them what you're passionate about, I think makes it really fun. And I, I loved my practice site and getting to set that up from scratch. I mean, it was super fun and it was super awesome to have students get to see pharmacists in a different role. You know, again, we go back to that. What are we showing them is our role? Is it just this or just that? Like they walked into our clinic and, you know, we're doing diabetes management, but I'm also helping to drain a wound or like you just don't know, you know, you're just hands on in those types of settings. So I, I really loved I loved all of it, but, um, you know, obviously we were being called to do something else. So that was only a couple of years and then the, and then we opened our own practice. So, um, I really value my time in each of those settings. So, and this, this job in academia, so you work in practice, is it a sort of combined role that you get like under one sort of organization or it's two separate jobs completely because what I'm doing at the moment is I work for a pediatric hospital but I am contracted within that job to then go and work for the university two days a week in pharmacy practice. Yeah so there are some of those roles exist but um, I was fortunate to be 100% under the university and basically um, a volunteer is what it would be for the um, practice. They would let us, you know, bring our students there to learn. So yeah, my, I, I wasn't split, which I found to be a blessing a little bit. I, I did have, I have colleagues that have done that too. Um, so I think there are positions that are mixes of that. It can be quite crazy. I mean, my, my time is split. So um, three days at the hospital, two days at the university. But the funny thing is, is Mondays I go to the hospital, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm at the university, and then Thursday, Friday, I go back to the hospital. Wow. And it, it's quite difficult to, in within that week, to, you know, switch back and forth from two different roles. And your time does overlap. And actually during COVID, it has been extremely challenging because sometimes I'm working from home and I'm setting up meetings for the hospital on my university days, which I shouldn't be doing, but sometimes it just right. happens. Right, you still have like a choice. Someone's right. free. Yeah, and, and then at one point in the last few weeks, it was just overlapping so much that my schedule became just too crazy. And I and then I had to just resegregate those roles and say, okay, these are my two days for the university. I'm not doing anything outside right. of that because it was just so challenging to keep on top of my workload. And I haven't experienced that before because I've been in split roles, but it was something about working from home that I just, I think maybe my brain was like, well, I'm home. I'm going to be working. It'll be easy to do a quick phone call with someone, but then you get sidetracked for the next hour figuring out how to solve a situation, you know, for a patient for a, you know, or, you know, a guideline that needs to come out. And I, I just ended up finding it too difficult. So I've, I've resegregated my days and, and been quite strict about it. So it is quite, yeah, I, I know those, my colleagues that do that say it's really hard to, um, figure out, you know, how do you get your alliance 100% to each one? There's only so much of you. So I can understand the challenges. Yeah, it's tough, but it's, it is a really enjoyable role. Um, we do like at the university, if you're working in the practice department, generally you need to be working in a clinical environment as well, because um, obviously it's, it's beneficial to be working in practice and then if you're doing clinical scenarios or you're teaching about a certain topic, you have so many examples of situations that you go through on a day-to-day -day basis that you can bring to your lectures or workshops. Yeah. So um, it's good that they they make sure that you are still practicing and, and that's part of the kind of contract, which is great. And I, I think it's it definitely works for us. So it's good. That's amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, it's really fun. I do enjoy it. And, and genuinely, I really, I adore students. And um, yeah, I know they, they like the fact that maybe I, I mean, I'm not super young, like, but um, <laughs> I'm younger than a lot of the other kind yes. of lecturers. So I think they, they can relate to that. And I am my true self as well. I, I, I am professional, but I am my true self. I do have fun and I enjoy and I tease them. Even when some of them are sleeping, I'm waking them up. Right. And, and you just got to keep them up. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not very good if they're sleeping in my lecture. But, <laughs> you know, we do have fun with it. And I think they like to relate to that because it, it can be quite intimidating. I remember some of my lecturers, like when pharmacy, you know, right. but always have to be very professional and serious around them. And the younger generation, it, it's not so much. You can relate to them slightly. Right. I agree. So it's good. So tell me, when you decided to build the, well, not build, but um, when you decided to develop and buy your own pharmacy, what was that like for you? Because that's completely different to working for someone else. I, um, oh my gosh, it was such a roller coaster, you know, there wasn't an independent pharmacy in Johns Creek where I live. And I also had never been in an independent pharmacy. So I didn't really know anything about any of it. I remember Mike, as he was writing our business plan, you know, like having questions about certain things. And I'd say, I really don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Mikey um, so, to the rescue. Yeah. I know he really, I mean, he wrote us, he has an MBA and he wrote an amazing business plan and it was all centered around clinical services and a clinical transition of care program with Emory Hospital down the road. So um, I I told him, I promise you, if we can get a loan to do this and find a space, we will make it just soar. And so it took a while to find a location. Um, it's not like there's a ton of, you know, retail buildings that are meant for a pharmacy. And we found one. Um, and then I remember having Lily at the meeting with the bank to ask for a loan. And I left crying. I thought there's no way we're going to get this loan. And you're talking about half a million dollars, right? Like, it's not like these are cheap to open. And um, I left thinking there's no way we're doing this. Like, let's just call it a day. And we got a call the next day um, saying that we would get the loan. They were actually going to loan us more because they thought we would need it um, to get some of the services off the ground that we wanted. And so it really was quite a roller coaster. We were at a different location. Um, we actually had a lease to buy on an old gas station that we were going to convert and make a pharmacy. That I'm so glad that didn't happen. We didn't have that kind of money at the time to do that. Um, so yeah. Um, it was a roller coaster and whirlwind because I was also pregnant with our second daughter by the time this all came to fruition. So I actually delivered Abby um, July 31st and this pharmacy was like underway. The contractors were calling Mikey like while we were in the hospital and he's like, okay, we need to take a break from this for the day. Um, but we were rushing because we really just wanted to get it open and off the ground. And um, so it really was a whirlwind. And the thing that I go back to all the time is, Man, we rushed so much to get this ready and going and we open our doors and nobody walks in, right? Like that's an eerie, <laughs> an eerie feeling. Like, I don't know if you see the movie Field, the Field of Dreams, if you build it, yeah. they will come. I Not have necessarily seen it. in the pharmacy, <laughs> but when you open one, I just remember the whole route of opening it. People are like, why are you doing that? There's a million CVS, Walgreens, Publix, Rite Aid, like pick your pharmacy over in the US. They're on every corner. And I, I just kept saying to myself, like, don't listen to anybody. This is not going to be your average pharmacy. And um, even our, you know, our family was so supported, supportive and excited, but I think they were also like, I can't believe you're opening a pharmacy. There's a million pharmacies in America. I mean, you can't drive five feet and not see a pharmacy. And I just kept saying like, I don't want a retail pharmacy. I want a clinical pharmacy in the community. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how we landed. <laughs> but Well, I, I, I love number one that, that you found Mikey because clearly, <laughs> He is helping you to achieve all your dreams and he's really under, he really understands who you are and, you know, 
what what you want to achieve and he's helping you to make that happen and you're doing it as a team and I love that because I can really really appreciate what it's like to have a good husband because mine does support me in every way shape or form and every single day when I want to do something he will push me to do it and encourage me and I just that's something that's really important to me I never I never thought I'd find this <laughs> even when I married him I didn't know that this is the type of man he is no, I'm only I'm a, yeah I, I'm only figuring it out now because a lot of the decisions I've made have been backed up because of him. And he's always, always, I always say he's my number one fan and he will always say you can do it in whatever form that comes in. You know, he will always encourage me and it's obviously not everyone gets to, to go through that same experience as, as we are. So, you know, it's something that I'm very, I'm really grateful for it and I can see that the way that you talk about it and and even when you couldn't hear me on the on <laughs> this recording you were like oh gosh here he is he's come to my rescue <laughs> with IT issues and I was like oh my god there is nothing I couldn't do without him he always I hear him say it all the time people come back for me it's not true they come back for us and I you know, I think I would give every single thing away out of this pharmacy, my time, my love, my compassion, but he is the reason it thrives and our doors stay open. And he is my biggest champion. I mean, he goes to bat when I sign myself up to do something. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you doing that? Let's talk about, you know, he keeps me balanced and grounded. And I think uh, when we do, we make an awesome team. You can't have four kids and own a pharmacy practice if you weren't a good team. And I think the thing that not a lot of people get to do and I get to do it is work with my spouse and see them in a different light that I never would have seen him. I know he feels the same way. Like when he was an engineer, he's still an engineer, but he'd come home and I would say, Oh, how was your day? And he'd be like, so boring. But now (laughs) we see each other in different lights. Like he runs all the business side. Um, I do all the clinical stuff. And when I say, I want to try this, he really makes it happen. I mean, he's the he's the uh, implementer, right? He makes sure it's structured and, and not just okay. I want to do this service, and we're just gonna put a sign up and call it a day. So he really yeah. that's amazing, though. I love it, and it's so. <laughs> I mean, kids to see that too is just inspiring for them, and it really shows what teamwork and family life is all about, which maybe. You, you, live it so you don't see it but I'm sure that when they see you guys working together on a day-to-day basis as a team and as a unit it must make them feel so good inside and and as they grow older they will they will really be grateful for that in their lives and I think that's amazing it's really nice because my pet you remember back in the day before I even came to Virginia my parents owned a pharmacy yes I remember that so vividly about them. So you saw that firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should open a pharmacy with my husband. You should. (laughs) I think, you know, I'm really, I, seven years ago, I mean, this was very stressful. We're in a much better place with our pharmacy practice and our relationship in the community. But I, I really wish more people would. And the more people that are passionate about it, we drive the change for the profession too. So I... Yeah, it's really cool. It's, I mean, there are times where I've thrown things at him. Don't get me wrong. But like, for the most <laughs> part, it's really good. So, But even in terms of your time management, it's very useful as a family unit to be working together. I mean, you literally can just drop off the kids to school and go to work, I assume. Yeah, I mean, we – so actually today we're all in the pharmacy right now, and they're helping him put things away and clean up. And um, But, yeah, we actually, with COVID and the schools closing and all this craziness, um, we have them in a hybrid homeschool program. So actually one morning a week he wears his schooling hat, like his dad's school hat, and I, I wear it. mine. And, um, and then they do, they go to school and our parents and my parents moved down here and so did his. And so 
they help us as well. Like our pharmacy has a village that keeps these wheels turning, you know. That's amazing. I actually, I saw a picture of your, with your dad with a Lily's pharmacy t-shirt. I was loving it. It was bringing me back to the memories of your old house. And I was like, he still supports his child to the utmost level. He loves you. He loves you so much. And it's so lovely to see that. He wears a Lily's pharmacy shirt everywhere he goes. And He'll talk to people in line and be like, are you going to Lily's Pharmacy? And they'll, if they say no, then I'll be like, why not? <laughs> you my daughter. Really, I mean, apart from my my biggest champion, right? I, my dad, yeah. to this day, I mean, he delivers medicine for us. He comes, helps, comes and helps me in the pharmacy. I mean, it really is amazing. Um, you know, if I have to we have a transition of care program with Emery. And so sometimes I have to send him over to the hospital to do something. I mean, he's just, he always says he can't quit, can't be fired. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. So, I mean, I've just thought of another question is that in terms of retail pharmacy, I mean, you want to incorporate clinical pharmacy services. So how do you stand out from that perspective to the other pharmacies in your local area? Yeah. So I'm really proud of how we stand out. So um, when we opened, I said, from day one, I'm going to work to get a relationship with Emory Hospital. I want to know the doctors in my area and I want to provide a clinical transition of care program. They weren't very, there weren't very many of them in the U.S. I remember finding one study in the American Pharmacist magazine of a large health system that tried it. And I was like, we can do this. So I pulled a bunch of data together and had, and I begged, I mean, for six months, I begged for a meeting with the hospital. And finally they called me back. Cause I was like, I don't want to sell you anything. I just think I can help your patients when they leave. And um, the pharmacy director called me and said, what are you trying to do? I said, I think we need a transition of care program so that patients leaving the hospital get clinical pharmacist attention. We have plenty of literature to say, if there's a pharmacist that follows up with them, their outcomes will improve drastically. And it will also save your hospital money because I'm going to keep them out of the hospital. So I got a meeting and I presented all this information and then all of a sudden, like, wheels off the ground. Here we were, not really knowing what we were doing yet, by the way, <laughs> with this transition of <laughs> And all of a sudden, I'm getting these highly complex patients. The things that I love discharged to me to manage in between their primary care and follow-up visits. And it is awesome. Um, we became nationally recognized, one of the few pharmacies that really tried it. And it's successful seven years later. So I, um, I'm really proud of that program. Our patients know we have it. They know we work with the primary care doctors. So you know, I don't have to go through hoops if there's an issue. And I have remote access into the Cerner system. So when that patient is actually opting into our program, I'm viewing their inpatient stay remotely. And before they leave, our team makes the recommendations and any we prevent like errors or missing prescriptions from happening before that patient even leaves the hospital. And most of the time their meds are in hand um, with a consult. So it really is, when you think about it, so different than patient leaves hospital, drops their discharge papers off at a pharmacy, and that pharmacy has no idea what happened to them. They're just filling the prescriptions, and you sure hope all of them are there. Um, But I can tell you 99% of the time that's not the case. And so what's awesome about our program is that I'm calling or texting the doctor, like, hey, we're missing this script. I I see that they had this diagnosis. Where's the script? Or, you know, I'm looking at their kidney function. This doesn't seem like it's the right fit. So all of that is done ahead of time. And they leave and everything is buttoned up and clean for the patient to go home and rest. And our pharmacists are calling, you know, a few days later to follow up. So I really think our level of care and our standard of care is much higher than you see at pick your pharmacy on the corner, right? Jeez, I am absolutely loving this idea. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm just visualizing it right now and I'm just thinking that is brilliant. Like that is so smart. I every pharmacy, every pharmacist could do this. It doesn't matter what 
type of pharmacist or where you work, you could implement this. And so now we're working with primary care doctors to have that same relationship, not just, hey, can I call you if I'm missing something? Hey, let's do a higher level of care so that their outcomes are better. You know, the more we improve their outcomes, the less they're having to go into the hospital or the ER for a cough and cold or because they're missing, you know, refill, missing refills are one of the number one reasons our ERs are abused. And that is something we've reduced dramatically just through this program. Or if their insulin dose needs to be adjusted, we can do that remotely and save everybody a lot of, of time. So really a cool thing we have for our community. That's amazing. So let me explain something about how um, sort of inpatient and outpatient services work here. So if you are an inpatient in a hospital, usually when you're um, getting discharged, the pharmacist, the, the clinical pharmacist who works in the hospital, who's usually on that sort of floor or ward area, will process your medications. And usually when you come into hospital, you have to bring all your medications with you so we can see them. And we kind of go through a whole sort of, you know, medication history. We assess like the medications that they brought in to make sure they have a good supply. And then obviously during their stay, um, we will top them up on medications. So when they're discharged, technically it's just a case of, okay, you might need to supply some painkillers or antibiotics, but their regular medications that they're on day in, day out, which might have changed or might not have changed, you've, you've already supplied them beforehand. So when they get discharged, that pharmacist is reviewing the prescriptions, doing what you're doing from your pharmacy, but obviously within the hospital. And when they get discharged, we supply them with everything. So we usually supply a two-week supply so that they have time to then go back to their primary care physician, or we call it a GP, and then get a refill of medications, which maybe dosages have changed, like you said, you know, um, or new medications have been prescribed or things have been stopped. So obviously the primary care physician needs to know what's changed. But sometimes that communication between leaving the hospital and the patient coming home and those changes being put in place before the refill is is a little bit of an issue and the communication is sometimes a little bit slow or gets lost. Right. But yeah, normally the pharmacist will supply everything before they leave. So I it's it's quite amazing. So you're you're saying that the when they're getting if they're within your program, when they're ready to be discharged, you obviously have remote access to Cerna and you can see all their medical notes and diagnosis and kind of what they're having as an inpatient and kind of predict what they're meant to have on discharge and actually pres- like get those prescriptions filled and give them the medication. Correct. Like well, we'll get the script sent over, but we can reconcile remotely. Um, what they're supposed to have, or we see that we we didn't get everything, um, or this doesn't really match what their labs are telling us. So really, all the errors, emissions, um, confounding factors that affect a patient's ability to get a prescription are resolved before they even leave. So um, what a peace of mind for those patients, I know, right? I know. So. And, and it's great that you, 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 you build the community because obviously those patients must be so grateful to have that little bit of a network between leaving hospital and coming home. And that, that's incredible. And I love that. And I love that way of working. I'm quite excited for you. And is that <laughs> taking up, is that taking up most of your day? No, no. I mean, okay. we have, we have, um, Compounding, you know, we have all the traditional things, compounding, we do a lot of med adherence packaging, um, direct patient consults. I mean, our day is sort of a mix of all of the aspects of pharmacy and then, you know, regular prescription verification. So um, yeah. our day, you know, or vaccines, you pick it. But so, yeah, it's, we don't get, you know, sometimes it's just one or two patients a day. Sometimes it's none. It just depends on the day with the hospital. So um, mm. it really just depends. But yeah, it's our pharmacy is a mix of all of the parts of pharmacy, which I love. And your regular sort of prescriptions that come through, is it all electronic from sort of primary care physicians or they bring in paper prescriptions? Um, it's a mix. Most of it's electronic, but then some people still have paper. Their doctors uh, still prefer that. Um, cause here, if you see your, um, sort of primary care physician is, it's basically all electronic. Now you let them know which pharmacy that you normally like to go to, and they'll just send an electronic prescription directly to that pharmacy for you. 
your refills kind of go to the same place then all the time. But you you have the option to change if you don't like that pharmacy or you move house. Obviously, you can change which provider you use, but it does make it a lot easier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. I think that we have a mandate coming um, that all like pretty soon, I think all prescriptions are going to be electronic, especially the controls. Um, But uh, yeah, we're moving that way. I think most of our scripts are coming that way, you know, for the most part. And and what kind of element of owning your own business surprised you? maybe for you personally, or, you know, just maybe the enjoyment of owning your own business will feel different to working for, you know, an employer per se. Like, how did you feel about that? Um, I think the biggest surprise is how rewarding this is. Um, It is a lot of work and stress um, and time, but the reward is so much greater than any of those things. And I didn't really grasp it until COVID came and the level of support of our community, our family, our friends, it's just, it's indescribable. Um, and just our patients, you don't realize how much you touch their lives. Like they touch my life all the time. But, you know, when COVID came and all of a sudden we're having a new way of providing our pharmacy care, our patients just never wavered in their support of our pharmacy and wanting to help us. I mean, I've never seen so many people out deliver medicine if you need us to for the elderly, or um, if you need a meal, let me know. I mean, they were baking for us and dropping things off. I, they've been with our family since, you know, we had Abby was a baby and I had her in here. So, so many of them, the biggest surprise is just they've become an extension of our family. And I never imagined that. I mean, there were times they'd come in and they'd be holding a baby because I needed them to do that right that second. Um, so, you know, that's been the biggest surprise is the reward for our family and the humility that comes with it. I mean, our kids, not only do they see us um, in a different role, but they see the impact that the pharmacy is having um, on the people that they know. So I really, it's amazing. I can't put words to it. I know. It sounds amazing. I, I still can't believe you have four kids as well. I, I can't believe I have four kids either. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I, juggling one is, I feel, a challenge and I yeah. have no idea how you do it. But I'm right. so glad that your parents and obviously your Mikey's parents are close yes. by because it does make a big difference, um, obviously, to, to help out. And, and you know that bond that they develop will be amazing. So, you know, happy days. I'm loving this extended family <laughs> unit. I'm loving it. I'm Thank loving it. you. So, I mean, I guess that that kind of ends our, our podcast on a really good note. I feel really happy about that. But I do Thank always you. finish my podcast with um, three sentences that I'd like you to finish. Um, is okay. That okay. Okay. Um, being a pharmacist means? It means so much more than medicine. Being a pharmacist is uh, providing care and at a different level than most people realize And it means so much to me personally because of the impact that that I've gotten to have on my community. So being a pharmacist means just, it just means so much more than medicine. And I can't say that enough. That's amazing. And if you had to write a letter to yourself the day that you kind of became a pharmacist, let's say, what would you say? I would say keep an open mind and don't don't hold yourself back from something because you think you can't do it or that it's outside of the norm. Um, I would tell myself, don't be afraid to step outside the box because you can really soar if you just open your eyes and not be afraid. And in 10 years time, I will be. I will be a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> and wiser. I'm wiser. I hope to be overseeing most of the community outreach and maybe not as much, you know, physically here. I want to be enjoying my kids and hopefully, um, you know, working more with our hospitals and doctors. Um, I think I'll just be really happy. I, I Our kids will be older and I think I'll be, you know, bringing different avenues to our pharmacy. Yeah, that'll be amazing. 
And for the listeners, um, I'd like them to know where you um, you are on social media so they can follow you. Yeah, so we are LilyRx on Instagram or Lily's Pharmacy on Facebook. Um, and then on LinkedIn, it's just, I'm just Jennifer Shannon, but I'm pretty a passionate advocate because I always um, like for people to know what's going on from an advocacy standpoint that we're doing down here in Georgia. So you can find it and Twitter. Lily's Pharmacy is on Twitter as well. So Amazing. Yeah, I really, I'm so glad that we've reconnected. This is going to be one of many conversations to follow, by the way, because I'm so happy to, you know, I've known you since I've been 15 years old. I know it, it's, it's just crazy to think of that. Yeah, and and maybe it was meant to be that we found each other again. So I definitely days. believe that, and I look forward to our next chat. So yeah, definitely. And I have a lot of time for a different <laughs> podcast. I want to talk about pharmacy ads. You know, we've done a lot to advocate for pharmacists' choice in the in Georgia and the U.S. and so much to learn. From so um, another day for sure. <laughs> and watch this space for Lily's Pharmacy, definitely. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pharmacist Diaries UK and on Twitter at Farm Diaries UK. That is P-H-A-R-M Diaries UK. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new episode is released. Finally, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a review as it will help the podcast reach more people. If you have any suggestions for guests you want me to talk to or if you'd like to come on yourself, please feel free to contact me via social media or email at info at pharmacistdiaries.com.